0: This talk was given at Insight Meditation South Bay. For more information and a schedule of our events, visit the Insight Meditation South Bay website at www.imsb.org. For information about online programs, visit the Bodhi Courses website at www.bodhicourses.org. Bodhi is spelled B-O-D-H-I. Well, thank you for being here tonight and to share with me one of my favorite practices in Buddhism. The Four Noble Truths are not abstract beliefs that we need to accept on blind faith. Rather, they can lead to practices that we can discover for ourselves so we can live a happier and more peaceful life. And the topic for tonight is the third noble truth. And as you know, there are four of these truths. The first noble truth is the truth of suffering, or dukkha. And the second noble truth is the truth of cause of suffering. And the cause is our clinging, our grasping, our craving, or our attachment. And the third noble truth, fortunately, is the truth of the cessation of suffering. Isn't it wonderful to know that it is possible for suffering to end? And according to the Pali Canon, This is the noble truth of the cessation of suffering. It is a remainderless, fading away, and cessation of craving, the giving up and relinquishing from it, freedom from it, non-reliance on it. So the ending of suffering, comes from relinquishing or letting go of our craving. Actually, when the vice grip of our attachment and our obsession releases, the happiness that comes from the ease of our mind is exquisite. It is like taking a breath of fresh air by somebody who's been suffocating for a long time. And we'll also find that the more we let go of our craving, the happier we will get. And the happier we are, it is easier to let go because we no longer need to rely on our craving for our temporary happiness. And I will talk more about letting go into peace and happiness more later on tonight. And the fourth noble truth is the truth of the path that leads to cessation of suffering. The path known as the Noble Eightfold Path sets up conditions that supports this deep, transformative work of letting go. So what I will do tonight is talk about letting go of craving in general, and Shaila will talk about the Noble Eightfold Path in detail next week. So, whenever I think about letting go of my own attachment and craving, I think of Joseph Goldstein's description of how hunters trap monkeys in um, Asia. And some of you may be familiar with this description. And what they do is they hollow out a coconut and they tie the coconut to a tree or a stake on the ground, and they make a slit at the bottom of the coconut and put in some sweet food that a monkey would like, like banana, sweet rice, you know, mango, whatever it is. And here comes my high-tech demonstration. (laughs) the slit is big enough for the monkey to slide in its open palm just imagine this is a monkey palm but it is not big enough for the monkey to withdraw a closed fist so here we go (laughs) So the monkey smells the sweet fruit slide in its open palm and grasps the sweet food, and it's stuck. Because again, the slit is not big enough for him to withdraw, or her to withdraw its, his clenched fist. So here comes the hunter. The poor monkey is panicked but it is stuck. Notice there is no one keeping the monkey captive, except for the monkey's attachment to the sweets. All the monkey has to do is open his hand, let go of the sweets, slide the hand out of the slit, and he will be free, but the attachment and the greed for the sweets is so strong that the monkey cannot let go, even though its life is at stake. And I find this description of the monkey trap a cautionary tale for all of us. Because, similar to the monkey, the clinging and the grasping in our minds are what's trapping us. Because all we have to do is open our hands, let go of our attachment, and we'll be free. But, as we all know, this is easier said than done, right? (laughs) And during the guided meditation, I ask you to reflect on the most common or prevalent craving or drivenness in your life, and whether it causes you suffering. Now, my question for you as a group is, What is obstructing your ability to let go of what's causing you distress and unease? After all, all of us want suffering to end. So what do you think is in our way of letting go of our craving, our clinging, in our, in our attachment. Here's the mic. Yes, please. Uh, actually, two things come to mind. Yes, first please. First is habit, mm-hmm. the second is um, not knowing what to replace the craving with. Okay. Ah. Sorry, I'm going to write down, take notes, (laughs) so I'm trying to find a pen. So, habit and not knowing what to replace craving with, very good. Anybody else? Yes, please. Something that... Something that, um, that we may think defines us or we want to be identified with. Um, if we let it go, who would we be? Hmm. You know, whether it's a particular look, it's a way to behave, um, hanging out with certain people, you know, something like that. Very good. So our self-identity and our self construct the story we tell ourselves... Yeah. One thing that um, I have trouble with is people. I get very attached to people. Mm-hmm. Love, you know, giving love, receiving love, family and friends. And um, that's an attachment for me and mm-hmm. part of my identity. So it's tricky. hmm. Yeah, these are all very real. Yeah, and we deal with this, these challenges, every day in our lives. Um, Just clinging on to something that's familiar. Hmm. Yes, just like habit that you were talking about. Yeah. Very true. Yes. For me, it's, it's fear. Mm. Letting Yes. It's all the worries, worry this, worry that, and they never come to an end. Also, another thing is that I'm very demanding on on myself so that everything is
1: good and perfect.
0: Mm. Yes. This drivenness to perfectionism, yeah. I say also, a sense of obligation. Mm. So, feeling you have a duty or an obligation, especially to other things or other people. So, do you feel you're doing it for others, not for yourself, then perhaps you're really doing it, you're clinging to it for yourself. Yes. Okay. And we grasp those things that will give us temporary pleasure believing it's gonna give us permanent pleasure. So I just stopped at C's candy I but three before and it wasn't counting, but and you know, the first couple of bites was just incredible. This last candy I had in the car and then as I got near the end of the candy I'm like, it's not quite as good at mm-hmm. the end. it's, it's the quality seemed to change and, and we go after that with, you know, love and habit and grasping and, you know, whether it's the drink or the cigarette or the food or the, you know, boyfriend, girlfriend, you know, the dog, the cat, everything, which it gives us pleasure and we want that more than anything, right? So hang on to it, right? And then that just feeds the grasping. And yes. And always forget that, you know, it's going to change, people die, everything's temporary, right? And I, and I think that um, one lesson I've learned, I don't practice it well, but I've learned is replacing the grasping of the temporary nature and things that are harmful to us, to try to remember to practice um, taking in wholesome things, mm. like, wholesome thoughts, wholesome activities, right? So at least if we're grasping on those, that least uh, bring us longer-term happiness than uh, these candy. <laughs> <laughs> so you're in part answering, I'm sorry, what is your name? Chris. Yeah, Chris's um, question about what do I replace my craving with? Yeah. So the sense of in there, right? Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> yes, so replacing the craving gradually was more wholesome activities. Very good. Anybody else? These are really profound thoughts, and they're, like I said, real. What's your answer? Um, Everything that you have said, and then it's always, I really think that what um, people have brought up about this fear of, Um, lack, that if I don't have X, I'm not complete, and that, um, you know, so we look for things outside of ourselves to feel um, a sense of self-worth, a sense of identity, as, you know, like we talk about, you know, being with other people, with family, f- uh, to define who we are. And that when all that falls away, it's like, oh, where's the I? And that comes back to the um, sense of non self. And that's a really hard concept to work with. Yeah, that is probably, for me, the hardest concept to work with in Buddhism. Yeah, I I can deal with impermanence, I can deal with suffering, but the non-self part is really hard. It's, seriously, it's the most challenging part. So, um, and I think you're right that we are on this kind of um, incessant um, treadmill, you know, to um, refine X. And it satisfies us temporarily, but we know but the pleasant experience um, is only, it's impermanent. So, we replace it with something else, (laughs) and then then we we keep on going. And that's what causes suffering, because we're never satisfied, we're never content, and then, in fact, dukkha means dissatisfaction. You know, we're never content, because we're always looking for the next thing that will make us happy. Does that answer your question? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, I think about this a lot, and I mean, in and and including, you know, what everybody else has said, um, I would just add my two cents worth, and it's kind of this, you know, feeling of, you know, who am I without all these attachments, and and it's the non-self part that. I struggle with. <laughs> Anybody else before we move on? Okay, thank you. That was really good. And so, given these challenges, real challenges and obstacles, I think um, The practice of letting go should start small. We start to let go of small things and gradually build up our letting-go muscles. Just like if we never lifted weight before, or weight training, we don't start by lifting 100 pounds. (laughs) We may want to start with a 5-pounder and gradually build our way up. And this is a gradual process, and it requires patience, courage, and a lot of compassion for ourselves. And let me give you a simple example. Let's say you had a very delicious dinner tonight before coming to IMSV, and you were full but you have a craving for a piece of pie. Mm. Unfortunately, you didn't have enough time because you want to get to Saratoga on time. So as you are driving here, you start to suffer because you cannot get that piece of pie out of your mind. You start to salivate. Mm. And you start to think, I wish I had time for that piece of pie. Maybe if I turn around now, go home, take a bite, I will be happy. Then you look at the bumper-to-bumper traffic and you're like, "Uh, that's not going to work. So, hmm, and knowing myself, I won't stop at one bite. I probably will eat the entire piece. And even the whole pie, then I will really suffer because I'll be so full I'll be sick. Or I will fall asleep during meditation, which defeats the whole purpose of going to Saratoga tonight. And besides, I can always have some pie after I get home. Hmm. That's not a bad option. So, your compulsion for this piece of pie gradually fades until you let it go completely. And you still may have a desire for the pie, but there is no longer a charge around it. There is no longer a power, energy, or compulsion around this desire. And a desire is just like any conditioned phenomenon. It is impermanent. It arises in our mind, stays for a while, and fades away as long as we don't react to it or add fuel to it. And that's the difference between a craving and a desire. And this pie example may sound very easy, but small things add up. And that's how we start to recondition our mind. And over time, it makes it easier to let go of bigger things. And this is a very gradual process. And with practice, we will see a change in our behavior um, over time. And in this pie example, it was fairly easy to see what the craving was, so we can make a conscious choice to let it go. But sometimes the craving can be very hard to see and let go of, especially when they have to do with our self-construct and self-identity they can be so deeply ingrained that we're not even aware of its existence. And this is when I think meditation is very helpful. Because when our mind becomes calmer, quieter, and more concentrated, the more subtle and deeper layers of attachment Start to slowly reveal themselves to us. And with the wisdom factor of investigation, we can start to examine and ask and examine these cravings with a sense of curiosity and ask ourselves. What are the forces that are behind these cravings, so we can let them go? So in other words, mindfulness and concentration allow us to watch the arising of our craving and observe them without any reaction or judgment. An investigation allow us to ask questions such as, what is this craving? Why is it so important to me to have X? What is behind this compulsion? How would it feel like if I let go of my belief that I really need X to be happy? And in this process of questioning, of investigation, we explore and examine our mind, so we can set it free. And let me give you a personal example to illustrate some of these points. Several years ago, I lost central vision in my left eye, it was due to a rare form of macular degeneration. And because of this severely impaired vision, I had to give up my job as a law professor. And talking about taking my self-construct and self-identity on a wild roller coaster ride, it was like, ah! And, um, and as I was working with all these losses and changes, what I was really surprised by was that my parents were more attached to my job than I was. (laughs) And being an immigrant family, my parents were measuring their success by how well their children were doing. And so, they were distressed and disappointed that I was no longer a law professor at a prestigious university. So now it is my turn to be more distressed and disappointed. (laughs) And I'm going, what? Isn't the loss of vision more important? What's wrong with you? (laughs) And as I meditated more and my mind quieted down, I saw that my distress (coughs) and disappointment were due to my deep, deep attachment and obsession to please my parents, get their approval, and to gain their love. And I realized that so much of my life's decisions were based on my obsession to get their approval and their love. And so I began to investigate even more deeply what was driving my obsession. And what I found were more complicated than I would have expected. And the forces that were driving me included my deep sense of insecurity, my lack of sense of self-worth, my belief that my parents have always favored my younger sister, And the list of toxic beliefs just went on and on and on. And it was like peeling an onion. You know, besides peeling layers after layers of toxic beliefs, it sure made me cry. You know, it was not a fun thing to do, but it was really transformative. Because, as I start to look at the forces that were driving me, the um, power of my attachment to what a "quote unquote" good daughter should be start to um, line up, and. I felt that I was no longer caught in this vice grip of obsession and attachment. And I began to feel a sense of happiness that I never felt before from a sense of ease of mind. And I really... um, that as I became happier and more confident, the power of my attachment started to lessen and it was easier for me to let go. And as an added benefit of starting to let go of trying to please my parents, and be the perfect daughter, and, you know, the list goes on, I start to come into my own, and begin to do things that were meaningful to me for the first time in my life. I, um, for example, I train as a Buddhist chaplain, participated in the Zen Hospice Project, started to study with Shaila, and now I have my own meditation group in Palo Alto. And these are the things that, believe me, my parents would not have approved of. You go be a law professor at Stanford. (laughs) And so... Um, I wanted to share my experience with you in part to dispel this mistaken notion that giving up or letting go our craving is some sort of sacrifice or deprivation. That if we let go of our attachment, that we're left with nothing. You know the Buddhists, the party poopers. Mm-hmm. But actually, when we let go of our craving, we're actually letting go into happiness, peace, liberation, ease, and happiness. That's what we get. When we let go of attachment, we are not left with nothing. For example, if we let go of our clinging to hate, we let go into friendliness, kindness, or compassion. When we let go of our clinging to confusion, we let go into clarity and wisdom. When the fire of this incessant thirst are put out, the relief is incredible. And it is as if a heavy burden has been lifted from our heart and our mind and we naturally let go into a sense of well-being. And in addition, when the mind is no longer cutting its obsession and preoccupation, it opens up spaces for wholesome activities such as creativity. And there's even a gradual revelation of our authentic self when all the shoulds drop away. And so, take some time to feel the absence of craving and be nourished by it. In addition to feeling the absence of craving in our heart and mind, it is helpful to feel it in our body. Is there less tension in our shoulders? Is there less clenching in our jaws? Does our stomach feel more relaxed? These feelings remind our body that this is a good place to be. We're slowly retraining and recondition our body so it can build up a memory of how good it feels. That this felt sense support our effort of letting go. Given the importance of these positive aspects of letting go, because letting go is so hard to do, what I want to do now is do a short meditation on letting go into peace and well-being.